Hi, travelers. You can listen to us on your travels on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and more. Go ahead and check out the description of this episode so you can find the link to our link tree, get access to all of our socials, as well as our YouTube channel so you can watch all of our episodes in full. Okay, today is Tuesday, December 5th. Justin, just me and you today. Zach couldn't make it, scheduling mishap, but he'll be back on Thursday. Uh, we'll break down all the college with him uh, this past weekend, championship weekend. Today, though, we are going to break into NFL, recap the NFL week 13. Got to give reactions to the playoff committee, the rank, the final rankings on the college football playoffs, the four teams that made it and the teams that got left out. Let's start, though, recapping Monday Night Football have to recap it. It was an amazing game. Probably the best game on Monday night we have seen in a long time. Jake Browning uh, absolutely played amazing for uh, Cincinnati. He basically stole the show, played more than capable of winning this game. Defense for Cincinnati struggled, but uh, at the end of the day, Jake end of the day, Jake Browning was able to keep up with the scoring prowess of Jaguars. And surprising. No one really thought it would happen. Many people thought this game was going to be a blowout, but uh, Bengals came in to Duval, proved them wrong, and gave us a pretty good, um, yeah, pretty good showing from Monday Night Football. Yeah, very good showing by Jake Browning last night, and obviously the another reason why the Jaguars lost that game, pretty bad injury there to Trevor Lawrence. Hopefully he's okay, and yeah. hopefully this isn't a just a, you know, a short-term injury. Hopefully it's just a short-term injury, but appears for how we went down this might be might be gruesome for the Jaguars yeah of course we we hope Trevor Lawrence is is okay that could be the season right there for the for Jaguars if uh if he does you know confirm that he is hurt um coming out this week in the injury report first start for Browning for Cincinnati four sacks two turnovers really did not play all too well at all in his first start with the Bengals but Monday night threw for 354 yards and a touchdown and also ran for a score as well. Justin, when do you think the last time, if you haven't seen this stat already, when do you think the last time the Bengals won on Monday Night Football? Well, they haven't won in a while. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. maybe maybe during Burrow's time. No, 1990. 1990, <laughs> wow. Bengals have not won a Monday Night Football game since 1990. So 33 years uh, they have not won. Yeah. 33-year drought ended last night. Uh, with Browning, too, which is, like I said, no one was going to think it was going to happen. Joe Mixon, uh, he played awesome for – he played amazing. Jamar Chase, he played amazing as well. 11 receptions for just about 150 yards, and he got a touchdown himself as well. So, yeah, just overall, uh, biggest takeaway is – Browning can't say enough about that. And then, of course, we have to keep in touch with uh, Trevor Lawrence and how he's doing. Uh, probably would have won this game. It's, it kind of does suck for, for Jaguars fans. Uh, he did go down in the fourth quarter, I believe it was, with that right ankle injury. And uh, most likely the Jaguars probably would have won this game if he would have been able to stay in. They would have been a little bit more uh, adept in that overtime. Lawrence would have at least been able to get the Jaguars into a comfortable field goal position that, of course, would have made the game and you no know, different outcome right now if that was the case afc south is definitely a stacked division right now probably might be the best division in the afc yeah but jaguars still atop that division if we said it last week though and you know we'll, we'll touch base on it a little bit t- on today's show too recapping this past week but the colts sneaky seven and five uh currently hold the win streak in the nfl at four games i think they hold that along with the dallas cowboys Cowboys, of course, facing the Eagles this weekend in Dallas. So, yeah, Jaguars, uh, hopefully Trevor Lawrence can be okay because the Colts are coming and the Texans are coming, like you just said, Justin, and we'll see what uh, yeah, we'll see what can happen. Before we get to week 13, the rest of the games on week 13, we have to talk about the rest of the college football rankings. Obviously, we'll touch base with Georgia at length with Carlos coming on in a second here. But let's break down rankings that came out for the playoffs this past Sunday. Michigan, number one. Washington, number two. Texas, number three. And then Alabama, number four. Florida State is out of the college football playoffs. Big controversy, as we all know. I actually don't think they should be. I'm actually okay with them being left out. But it's also very controversial. And Justin, to start us off, I do want to hear what your thoughts are. What are your thoughts on FSU being taken out of the playoffs? Do you think it's right? Do you think... Uh, are you kind of in line with the mindset of the best team to make it? Or do you think that they have showed enough on the field that they should be one of the four teams uh, 
going into the end of the end of December here. I think that uh, the record matters. I think the thirteen and zero record matters for Florida State, but should they have been in this Final Four uh, playoffs? No, I don't think they should have been. I think that um, you know that it looks like that win against Louisville was not the best win. Obviously, whoever had the best win makes it, but I kind of think. I, I kind of differ. I think that they should be in. Part of me thinks that, but a part of me says, no, they didn't win enough, so put Alabama in. But they could have got that fi- They could have got that fourth spot instead of Bama, but they didn't. So I could see, I mean, this is why next year yeah. is going to be much better with extra teams being added. I mean, if they did it this year, Florida State would definitely be in that uh, in that college football playoff with the extra teams added. No, my my takeaway on it is I do think if FSU wasn't like the SEC or even the Big Ten, I think they would get like they could have the same resume, uh, the same circumstances with Jordan Travis being out on their third string quarterback. And I do think FSU would actually make it if they were in a better conference. But it's just a further indication that the ACC might be done in the future. I mean, despite the playoffs being increased to 12 teams, I mean, schools like FSU, Clemson, uh, Notre Dame, if you want to count them in that, I know they're not technically part of the ACC, but they have no incentive to stay if you know they're not going to be respected by the playoff committee. And now we have all these QBs entering the transfer portal. It's going to be more competitive as ever. And yeah, teams are just not going to have much incentives to stay in the ACC if the playoff committee is not ultimately going to respect them. And let's break down the other teams though. Michigan, number one, honestly, Washington, number two, I still think Oregon actually is better than Washington. I think Washington did end up beating Oregon twice, which is great. Um, But I don't actually know if Washington is number two, deserving of number two. What do you think about, you know, Justin, what do you think about Washington being number two? Do you think they actually are the second best team in the country? I think they, they are. I think that they got the, the right um, the right win against Oregon. This is why the college football playoffs setup is tough to understand. And it's just it's so tough because you have Florida mm-hmm. State that they that they basically, you know, part of me thinks that they should have been in instead of Alabama or instead of Washington. Maybe Washington goes down to four and then Florida State and then Texas. Texas I could I could see Texas at number two instead of Washington. Maybe Washington slides down to number three or four. Yeah, no, and I, I mean, I'm just shocked about Alabama making it. People were saying after week three, four, first month of the year, how Alabama was done. I think me, even we were saying it on this podcast, Alabama was washed. Uh, Nick Saban, what might be done in Alabama, the team not nearly as good. Dynasty is over, yet Alabama ends up at the end of the year finishing off strong. Now they are fourth in the college football rankings, beating Georgia and eclipsing Georgia. And I don't want to get into Georgia too much right now because we have our interview with Carlos coming up. We're going to break it all down then. But it's just amazing, Georgia being the most dominant team all year long. I mean, they were the number one spot the entire season, and then it only took the last game to basically get kicked out. And uh, Alabama, I think I saw it was the first time not, not that the playoffs have been going on for a long, long time, but it was the first time a team jumped from uh, top six, top seven into the final four of the playoffs. Um, rounding out the top 10, Penn State, Missouri, Oregon, uh, Ohio State, uh, Georgia, and then, of course, Florida State at five, and then Alabama, Texas, Washington, and Michigan. My last question before moving on to NFL, uh, Justin, breaking down NFL from Sunday what do you think about Oregon uh, getting in the Fiesta Bowl against uh, Liberty? Do you think that's kind of a, for me, that's uh, disrespectful to Oregon? Uh, they're going to, Oregon is going to be opened as massive, massive favorites against Liberty. Liberty had, I think, the easiest schedule in the FBS all year. And like I said, I actually still think personally Oregon is a top, you know, at least top five team in the country, probably should even be in the playoffs. So what do you think about the disrespect? Just the bowl committee in general uh, gave Oregon, uh, giving them the Fiesta Bowl against weaker Liberty team. All things considered, I think it's I th- I think they should have put uh, another team against Oregon. Let's say they put Penn State in uh, in the Fiesta Bowl. Let's say they put Missouri in the Fiesta Bowl. I think there's other more deserving teams than Liberty that should be playing Oregon in the Fiesta Bowl. But for Oregon, I wouldn't say they're disrespected. I mean, losing to Washington twice, including the 
Pac-12 championship game. It makes sense. It makes sense. It's kind of like if a team in the NFL, you know, wins the tiebreaker and sweeps the divisional opponent and they have the same record, you give it to the team that swept them, that beat them in the divisional, you know, swept them twice and have Mm -hmm. the same record and same conference losses. I think that part makes sense, but the part Mm -hmm. that doesn't make sense of the way the college football playoffs is set up is you didn't blow out a team. Florida State blows out Louisiana. I think Florida State is in the college football playoffs and not Alabama Mm -hmm. for almost, not almost losing to Georgia, but being in a dogfight with Georgia and beating them, knocking off the number one ranked team in the country. Yep. Yeah, other weird matchups, all things considered, though. I mean, Clemson, uh, Kentucky, December 29th, that could be pretty interesting. But weird matchups, all things considered. Tennessee and Iowa, that's going to be a weird matchup as well. Uh, West Virginia, North Carolina, that could be a weird matchup. Kansas, UNLV. Uh, just a lot of mismatches and just weird matchups in general, which I know is what makes bowl games exciting. Teams that never really play each other, don't have a lot of tape on each other, do end up facing off, which makes really exciting matchups. But overall, just kind of a weird slate, all things considered. NFL, let's move on to the NFL, Justin. Week 13 this past uh, this past Sunday. I'm going to start with you. Uh, closest game, like we always do. What was your closest game this past Sunday? Closest game this past Sunday was the... Lions and the Saints. I knew it was going to be a close game. The Lions, I didn't think they played that great leading into this game, but Jared Goff did throw 213 yards, two touchdowns, and no interceptions. Derek Carr threw for 226 yards, a touchdown, and an interception thrown uh, for the Saints. Played the Lions close. Uh, they were down 21 to nothing, and then came all the way back almost made it a game there, was uh, 27-21 in uh, in the third quarter. Then the Lions, then they came close to winning the game, but the Lions pulled through with a 33-28 victory. Are you uh, are you concerned about their defense? Oh, the Lions uh, had blew, blew a 21-0 lead. Could be a little bit concerning, especially when, uh, mm-hmm. when they're in the playoffs and could be facing a, a, a tough challenge. So we'll see with the Lions defense. Yeah, I mean, this late scare from the Saints, it definitely makes you feel a little less confident about the Lions, though. Build, uh, you know, their ability to be considered one of the top, uh, you know, top elite teams in the NFC, especially, you know, after this Sunday matchup we saw against the Eagles and 49ers. But, you know, I'm sure we'll get to that in a second. My closest game, uh, I'm going to go Colts-Titans. Special teams and defense making all the difference for the Colts. Special teams helped the Colts score 10 points off Nick Cross, block punt, and Grant Stewart's returned 18 yards for a touchdown late in the third quarter as well. The defense for the Colts sacked uh, Roe Levis six times despite being outgained 381 to 355. Tennessee held the ball for more than 38 minutes as well. Colts defense and their special teams making all the difference in helping them end up getting this victory over Tennessee, who usually is very, very good at home, very good at Nissan Stadium. Titans offense was playing its best ball of the season, though, but just couldn't make the plays in crunch time. I mean, the Titans' 28 points matched their highest point total of the season. Uh, Of course, they had 28 against Atlanta when they played them on the 29th of October. Offense set high standards in totals for first downs, uh, rushing first downs, rushing yards, and time of possession. Uh, like I said, they were all highs this past weekend. 25 first downs, 12 uh, rushing first downs, uh, 177 rushing yards in general. And again, like I said, they had the time of possession over 38 minutes, which for a Titans offense that was struggling, uh, you know, pretty, pretty good all things considered. I do want to get your thoughts on this, Justin. I mean, I know a lot of um, attention is being given to D'Amico Ryans about being the coach of the year for the Texans, but what do you think about Shane Steichen potentially being thrown into consideration for coach of the year? I think it's rightfully so that Shane Steichen gets thrown in uh, as, as the coach of the year. Either him or D'Amico Ryans have been turning around teams that were top three picks, top three picks last year in the Colts and the Texans. So, uh, I do think Shane Steichen has done a really good job with the Colts and even going into the season with the Jonathan Taylor saga and everything else. And now, I mean, the Colts are 
are uh, they they might be a playoff team in the AFC. They might get a wild card Absolutely. with the way Steichen Absolutely is coaching that team, and I think he's I think he's turned that team around. Actually, with the Eagles and the Broncos losing yesterday, they now have the highest uh, win streak in the league, tied with Dallas at four. The Colts out of nowhere, sneaky seven and five team. Uh, Michael Pittman for the Colts playing absolutely amazing uh, Sunday, 11 receptions, 105 yards for a touchdown. They were able to outlast the Titans team that overall looked really, really well. And um, now, of course, they might be out with they, Derek Henry might be out now. He played well, but he might be out. Uh, after exiting the fourth quarter with an injury, but we'll see what happens there. We'll keep you updated on that. But watch out for the Colts. Might be a sneaky team and a, probably a team. Teams uh, might not want to play going down the stretch here, especially you know one of the first couple rounds of the playoffs. What was your most intriguing storyline of this past weekend, Justin? My most intriguing storyline is the Steelers and the Cardinals. The Cardinals with the upset. The Steelers, I'm, I mean, we've been talking about them a lot. Kenny Pickett injured. He will be out this week for an extended period of time with, uh, I believe it was an ankle injury he suffered mm-hmm. against uh, yep. against the Cardinals. Uh, yeah, he has ankle surgery. He will miss two to four weeks. So this is a big, uh, big loss for the Steelers, and they might be falling out of the playoff picture in the AFC, especially with the Colts. And, well, the Browns lost, but the Colts are kind of sneaking up on the Steelers, I'd say they have a big matchup coming up in week 15, I believe. Yeah, week 15 they play. And the Texans mm-hmm. sneaking up, the Broncos as well, uh, even though the Broncos lost. But, you know, there, there had to be a loser or a tie in that game. But, um, yeah, I think the, the Steelers are in, are in big trouble. So that's my intriguing storyline. And, and another uh, thing I mean, is, does Mike Tomlin – still have a winning season still could go seven and ten or eight and nine who knows i bet he does because you kind of alluded to it already i mean their schedule isn't that bad the steelers and mitch trubisky could arguably be better than kenny pickett i think that still is yet to be seen kenny pickett has not been playing good this season at all um uh, mitch trubisky on sunday went 11 for 17 117 yards uh he had a passer rating of 104 while pickett had less than 90 uh, I mean, I don't think Mitch Trubisky is much, much better than Kenny Pickett, but I don't think he's much worse either. And, of course, defense is still very, very good for the Steelers, like it's always going to be. I think the Steelers might be fine. Looking at their schedule now, the remaining games they have coming up, I mean, you already alluded to the Colts, uh, but then they play the Patriots next weekend, which that, that should be that a win. pretty much needs to be a win or, or needs to be a win, you could even say. And then they say they play the Bengals without Burrow. Right. Yep. And then the yep. Seahawks. That could be a tough game in Seattle. At, and Se- in Seattle and too. And then at Baltimore, that could also be a tough yep. game for them. Especially because they already beat Baltimore once, and I don't, I don't see the Steelers beating Baltimore twice. But yeah, I'm. I mean, I personally am super excited to see Trubisky play. Uh, very, very excited. So I want to see what he can do, and I'm, I, I'm sure the Steelers fans are super excited to see him start to play because they were not happy with Pickett and how he's been playing lately. Uh, my most intriguing storyline, gonna you know touch base on the Eagles 49ers game a little bit here. I want to know if the 49ers are really that much better than the Eagles or if the Eagles just played really, really bad on Sunday. I test alone, 49ers absolutely demolished the Eagles. Obviously, the final score would also show that the Eagles got demolished, but just looking at the game in general, uh, the Eagles just did not show up on Sunday. They got absolutely manhandled by the 49ers. The Niners scored six straight touchdown drives to close this game out in super convincing fashion. Um, I don't know if they're that much better. Like I said, the Eagles just had that bad of a game. Uh, Eagles, of course, now on this rough stretch with KC, Buffalo, San Fran, and now they have Dallas next week. Um, they found ways to win in their three of those previous games, but of course on Sunday they just were not able to get it done. Eagles did have clear fatigue. On offense, especially, I think they played, you know, those that KC, Buffalo, and San Fran. I think we're all in the span of like 13 days or something ridiculous. So they yeah, definitely it was. showed it. it was, yeah, a lot of fatigue. A lot of that's why a lot of missed tackles there too. Yeah, and a lot of yeah. fatigue. And they could have done better. They they really had it in the first two drives of the game. They could have went up 14 nothing in the red zone. And the red zone offense for the Eagles. This season, while it's been getting better, it hasn't been exactly the best red zone offense. Yep. And coaching 
is a problem with this team. I think we need to admit it. Coaching is a problem with this team. Fatigue plays a part into it. Injuries play a part into it on the defensive side of the ball. But coaching is a problem with this team, and they got to utilize the the run game more. They got to utilize it, especially against Dallas. Especially against Dallas, they got to play more consistent. Shaq Leonard, they eagle sign him, who was just released by the Colts two weeks ago. That's a good signing for them at linebacker, and. I know the Eagle fan base has been screaming for a linebacker for for years, for years that um, that they needed. Yep. So Shaq Leonard, that could be a good signing. Maybe not the best linebacker, yeah. but definitely talented from uh, what they've had and and all the injuries on that side of the ball. Purdy only, I mean, he continues to play awesome. Debo couldn't stop Debo all game, especially couldn't stop McCafferty all game. I mean, McCafferty. It seemed like he just was a guaranteed five, six, seven, maybe even seven yards, uh, 93 yards and a touchdown on his 17 carries. But like I said, he con- routinely converted uh, key third downs and just kept the Niners drives alive the entire game. It seemed like he was just untackable. Uh, Eagles had absolutely no response for him. And yeah, like I said, Eagles just got manhandled at home on a rainy, rainy Sunday in Philly. Most likely we'll see each other again. I said it last week, Justin, on the show, um, I actually was fine with the Eagles losing this game because they probably will see the 49ers again, and I think it's going to be really tough to beat the 49ers twice, so I'm actually kind of okay with it. I know it's kind of a bit of a loser talk, but I didn't want to lose this bad, that's for sure, because this is going to be in their minds if they do face them again come the playoffs. Yeah, it's a head-scratching loss the way they lost the game. I mean, yeah. if they lost by two points, it's one thing. But the way they lost, it's a little questionable. Heading into Dallas, they really got to get it together. And I know they're still in first place right now at 10-2. and two. They still have the number one seed in the NFC and the best record in the league. But at the same time, they, they really got to pick it up against the Cowboys or else if they lose this game, they, they might be in second place. They might be mm-hmm. a wild card team. And for a team that went to the Super Bowl last year, finished 14-3, and they could finish less than 14-3. and Let's say they finish 13-4, and 14-3, and but they don't win the division. I mean, they should win the division at 14-3, and maybe even get a first-round bye. But, um, yeah, we'll see. Cowboys have scored 40 plus points on their last four home games though and the eagles of course go into going to dallas this weekend uh so little scared for the eagles like you said justin very well could be the second seed in the in the nfc uh after this after this weekend coming up surprise of the week um despite the four our eagles getting killed by the 49ers any other surprise this week you had I'll go Packers over the Chiefs. That was mm-hmm. my upset pick of the week. That's mine and too. That was that was something else. That was some game mm-hmm. by the Packers beating the Chiefs. I mean, uh, yeah, very close game. And the Packers, I think they'll be a playoff team in the NFC. I think they might get a wild card spot. Maybe even challenge the I don't think they challenged the Lions for the division, but I think they're a wild card team in the NFC. Love has been playing very well the last like four games. Finished the game twenty five for thirty six. 267 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, but most importantly, made four big-time throws and zero turnover-worthy plays on the game to ultimately lead the Packers uh, a win over the Chiefs in Green Bay. He looked just comfortable inside the pocket. He looked comfortable inside the play-calling structure of the offense. Uh, He generated an adjusted 82.1% completion rate rate and had 8.6 yards per attempt on straight drop backs uh christian watson played awesome seven receptions 72 yards for two touchdowns he balled out all game did leave early with a hamstring injury unfortunately we'll keep you updated on you know the status of him going forward but yeah packers they started out the game big started out the game ahead early and never really took their foot off the gas uh scored touchdowns on three of their uh, first four drives and never trailed with their defense making two big stops in the last five and a half minutes Mahomes pretty average all things considered uh Pacheco balled out for the Chiefs though he rushed for 110 yards and a touchdown uh before of course getting ejected for uh punching Keyson Nixon uh during a scuffle on the game's final series but Green Bay though uh like you said Justin very much in the playoff hunt after a portion of games that they had early in the year I mean they're playing their best ball 
it could absolutely and most likely will lock up a wild card spot. So, yeah, this, this was my surprise of the week, too. Jordan Love, I would love to see him continue to play his best his best ball, and I think he will, and he's going to lead the Packers to the playoffs. He would, he would ever imagine, especially how, how they started the year. Um, what is your shootout of the week? Shoot out of the week. I'll go with the I'll go with the Colts and Titans. Good overtime game. Good win by the Colts. Gardner Minshew, how threw for three hundred and twelve yards and two touchdowns. Will Levis kept his team in the game as well. Derrick Henry had one hundred and two rushing yards. Good win for the Colts. Good game played, and uh, I think the obviously we've been talking about the Colts here. Uh, mm-hmm. Steichen could be considered for coach of the year and. And uh, even with without Anthony Richardson going down, uh, now you have yep. Gardner Minshew, who has been a good backup quarterback for the Colts and definitely could be a starter next year. Who knows? You could argue whoever wins the AFC South is going to win Coach of the Year at this point. <laughs> Possibly. Maybe not Jacksonville. Maybe not Doug Peterson. But Shane Steichen or, or D'Amico Ryans. Let me rephrase that. Whoever has a better record between uh, Texas and the Colts will we'll probably win the Coach of the Year. A lot of uh, former Eagles Texans. in that uh, that division with the head coaching. Doug Peterson, yeah. Shane Steichen yeah. was the offensive coordinator last year, and D'Amico Ryans played on the Eagles. So a lot <laughs> of former Eagles in that division. <laughs> yeah, now we just got Shaquille Leonard, uh, ironically, from mm-hmm. the, from, from the, from the uh, Colts. From the Colts, right. My show of the week, Lions-Saints. Uh, Lions start off the game dominant, 21 points, first quarter. Uh Saints, though, like I said, were able to come back, and Lions uh, had a scare at the end. Lead early on, but then their defense, as we've been kind of seeing all year, struggled. Uh, they were able to survive a late-game comeback against the, uh, against the Saints, and again, like I said, barely, barely survived. Uh, Lions dominant offense, but defense definitely struggles. Uh, they, they made the Saints offense look dangerous for the first time, it seemed, all year. Despite the injury, injury to Derek Carr, the offense for the Saints really played amazing uh it seemed like and that's a lot due to the lions defense being pretty anemic all game kamara rushed for 14 uh he he had 14 rushes for 51 total yards and two touchdowns six receptions for 58 yards as well and then chris Olave continues to play amazing five receptions for 119 yards he's making big big plays for the saints uh, including an ill-advised pass from Jameis Winston that was likely on its way to being intercepted. Intercepted. He uh, was able to catch that ball, uh, you know, kind of skirting disaster there and helps, uh, you know, keep that drive alive for the Saints. Uh, Alave averaged 3.71 yards per route uh, run in this game. And like I said, uh, just making massive plays for, uh, for the Saints. And Lions, I, we already talked about it early in the uh, you know when we early in this episode justin but I, uh, lions i don't i can't put the lions as a elite team in the af nfc not up there with with the eagles not up there with the 49ers and cowboys i really do think after this performance from the lions this past weekend um you know with the defense i saw from them i i think it's a three three team race for the elite level in in the nfc between the eagles 49ers and cowboys i I can't put Lions up there until I see more from their defense, unfortunately. And it's gonna it's gonna haunt them. It's gonna be a big problem going into the playoffs. Despite how well they've been playing on offense, despite how well the team has been playing all year, that defense will let them down in the playoffs if they don't figure it out and figure it out fast. What was your uh, snoozer of the week? We'll go Chargers Patriots. Six nothing, two field goals in the game by the Chargers. I mean, come on, that's definitely just the snoozer of the week for me and both teams need to fire their coaches. Both teams yeah. easily need to fire their uh, their coaches. And the Patriots, I know Belichick, great track record, six Super Bowl wins, but it's time to move on in New England. And now you got yeah. a half empty stadium. So, I mean, it's it's they're probably going to move on from Belichick, and then the Chargers should move on from their coach as well yeah. easily. This is my snooze of the week too. Of course, it is. It can't not be. Ironically, I had this as my shootout of the week as my prediction on Saturday's show. I was actually predicting this to be a pretty, uh, for some reason, a high-scoring game, which I was way off, obviously. Uh, Pat's defense, third time in a row that the Patriots gave up 10 or fewer points and lost. Uh, They are the first team to do that since the 1938 Chicago Cardinals. Chargers offense looked pretty anemic. Herbert threw for only 212. 
Uh, Keenan Allen came back from a thigh bruise to catch five passes for only 58 yards, only 29 rushing yards, and the only scoring they had a pair of 38-yard field goals in the second quarter. L.A. punter, J.K. Scott, they relied on Scott tremendously, punted eight times, one touchback, and helped limit the Patriots to an average starting position on their 13-yard line. In 11 possessions, New England started inside the inside the 13 seven times, four of them inside the nine, including one at the two. Uh, so yeah, J.K. Scott, punter for the Chargers, MVP of the game when pretty much no one else was showing up, made it super difficult for the Patriots to make any kind of headway on offense and any run on offense because they were starting literally at like in inside their own 10 on, on almost every single uh, every single possession they had this game. What did we miss? I don't think we touched on the, the Dolphins commanders. Yeah, um, that was a blowout win by the Dolphins, winning 45 to 15. So mm-hmm. uh, the Dolphins, not uh, not great against teams over 500 still, but definitely a very good win for them as they uh, as they go into D.C. and dominate the commanders. Tua yeah. throwing for 280 yards and two touchdowns. And uh, the commanders go to 4-9 as Sam Howell does not throw for a touchdown pass, 127 yards, and an interception. Yeah, I said it on Saturday. This game was going to be a shootout if the commanders showed up and played like they played a couple times this year, and this game was not it. I mean, the only consistent player for the commanders has been Terry McLaren, but even he has been struggling of late. Going through the roughest stretch of his five-year career, uh, McLaren doesn't have a 100-yard game all season and is in danger of not even going over 1,000 yards of receiving. Yes, some of it's on how, but it's not on all. It's not all on how. Obviously, it's the play calling for the commanders. It's Rivera. The whole play structure, the whole play calling is just absolutely terrible. And uh, this is one of those games for the commanders where they just couldn't not get anything going. Devon A. Chain back, um, 70, 73 yards, two touchdowns. And uh, Tyreek Hill and, of course, Tua played amazing for the Dolphins as well. So, yeah, blowout game for them. Cardinals-Steelers, we kind of touched on already. Pickett out for three to four weeks. Can't wait to see uh, Trubisky come in. I think he's going to play awesome. Broncos-Texans, did we we touched on – I don't think actually we touched on uh, – we, we didn't really touch on Broncos-Texans We Texans didn't really touch much. on it, but that was a good win for, uh, for yeah. the Texans. Whoever won this game, that would have been a big win for them. And the Texans – Got it on their home field. The Broncos coming up close, but uh, Russell Wilson threw three interceptions in the loss. So uh, not the best day for Russell Wilson, but the Broncos still could be a wild card team in the AFC as well as the Texans. Yeah, Stroud and Texans offense flourish, uh, but they do suffer that heavy loss, obviously, with Tank Dow. Out for the season with that fractured fibula. Stroud only tossed one touchdown pass, but he did throw for 274 yards on only 16 completions. So big plays from uh, Stroud and the Texans offense, all things considered. Denver's defense still playing at an elite level, though. Held Stroud, pressured him early, and never really looked back, never really took off the pressure all game. Held the Texans to 4 of 16 on third down. Unfortunately, with this loss, pretty much out of playoff consideration. It was a massive, massive hit for their playoff considerations. Falcons, Jets, uh, Desmond Ritter, not the guy. Tim Boyle, obviously not the guy in New York. Yeah. Uh huh. My only my only takeaway from really the Falcons, Jets is I think uh, the talk of Aaron Rodgers coming back is pretty much nipped in the butt at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're four and eight now. Jets on the season, no chance of them making the playoffs. Uh, if they're not making the playoffs, there's absolutely no reason for Aaron Rodgers to come back. And uh, so I do think with this loss, the talk of Aaron Rodgers returning, I think, is going to officially be over. Yeah, he won't return this season. Next season, he'll come back, probably. Certainly, though, for the Jets, though, looking in the next season, quarterback play isn't the only issues for their Jets offense. Running game, which averaged a mere 2.5 yards per carry on Sunday, has failed to find any consistent growth or any even consistent uh, leverage or momentum all season long. They still have a lot of holes to fill in this offense, and they Nathaniel Hackett, despite getting a, a healthy Aaron Rodgers next year, will have to make a lot of adjustments to, uh, you know, get this Jets team back on its winning ways. Uh, Panthers, Bucks. I don't have anything to really say about this game. Um, Bucks uh, might win their division, but they might. Besides Who that, knows? Anybody's yeah. division except for the Panthers. They were eliminated. Obviously, with the Saints losing this weekend, uh, Buccaneers that much closer to winning the division. Uh, Browns, Rams. 
Uh, Flacco. I don't think we touched on the Browns Rams either. Flacco, uh, not too bad for his start with the Browns. Two touchdowns with only one interception. Uh, he finished with more passing yards than Thompson Robinson had in his last two weeks, and that Deshaun Watson produced in his final two starts of the season as well. So, Flacco, uh, far from perfect, but serviceable when needed. Get some support from other parts of the team, you know, namely the defense plays like it should be playing, and he gets some offensive help as well. Uh, Browns still might be in this thing because Flacco very well could at least be a game manager for the Browns. Uh, down this stretch and help them win some games yeah not terrible for uh for a quarterback just coming in but the Browns they have a lot of work to do I mean their schedule is uh, looking at it here they have the Jaguars off a short week coming into Cleveland maybe they could upset them in that game the the Bears uh that that's a that's a pretty easy win but the Bears you know you never know with them and then at the Texans I think that that game could be a tough game the Jets and then the Bengals, two court, two teams without their starting quarterbacks, obviously. So maybe the Browns do get a wild card. What do you think about the Rams? How they've been playing lately? Not the best. They haven't played the best teams lately. Uh, obviously, beat the Seahawks, uh, beat and beat the Cardinals before the Browns. But they're they're playing really good lately. Uh, Matt Stafford, he went for twenty two for thirty seven on Sunday for. 279 yards and three touchdowns with no interceptions and in his last two games he has over 500 yards of passing with seven touchdowns and only one interception playing pretty well all things considered and look out for the Rams on a three-game win streak and second in the NFC West right now at six and six uh yeah and it's that unfortunately it's not open the 49ers will absolutely win that division of course but I think, uh, you know, nine games might be what's needed for a wild card spot. And, you know, they have the Ravens yeah. coming up next weekend, which is going to be hard, obviously. But then they, they finish with Washington, uh, the Saints, the Giants. And then, of course, they unfortunately have to play the 49ers. But, you know, out of these next five games remaining, if they can maybe get three wins, um, they they might be in wild card contention. But... Yeah, it's they, be tight. they might. They might be in wild card contention. And there's four teams that are tied for the sixth and seventh wild card spot. And that is the in the NFC in the NFC, yes. The Vikings, the Packers, the Rams, and the Seahawks are all six and six. And they're all tied for the wild card spot. Seahawks, I think they are, have actually been um they've been on the downslide and um you know, the Falcons, of course, Desmond Ritter is not going to be the guy either. And the Fal- and the Vikings com- have been kind of sliding a little bit too. So, um, yeah, we'll see. Rams, though, might make the might make the, uh, might make the playoffs. And I would love to see it because Stafford's playing really well. Uh, new week's resolutions. Uh, Justin, what is your new week's resolution? Eagles got to run the ball more. Eagles got to run the ball and really keep their defense off the field. The defense that that's just what happened. They had a pretty good game plan in the first two drives of the game, even going up six nothing. Hit AJ Brown on the slants. Devontae Smith as well got involved, but they got to start running the ball more, and they got to start mixing the run and the pass together. They really got to start picking up their game, especially at Dallas. I know that uh, they're ten and two still, but. Are they are they going to be a championship team? That's that's the question I have today. After losing that way at home to the 49ers, I believe that's the worst loss at home in the last fifteen years since two thousand nine. Really, they have not lost a game that big. My new week's resolution: uh, going to go to college basketball. Actually, Duke Blue Devils. Uh, they need to figure out things fast, or they will continue to drop in the polls. John Shire might squander another year of having a talented roster, but failing to capitalize with that roster. Duke, of course, this past week had a rough week losing to both Arkansas and Georgia Tech. Against Georgia Tech, they had awful shooting in the 72-68 to loss to the Yellow Jackets. The team finished with just 26 for 62 from the field, despite a 20-point performance from their senior guard, Jeremy Roach. Yeah, awful shooting against the Blue Devils. Defense has not looked too great either. Shire has to think of, figure things out fast uh, for this Duke squad, obviously with the Blue Devils having massive expectations in college basketball and could be the second year in a row where they 
they fail to capitalize on those expectations. So something needs to be figured out fast, and this is a bad start to the season, and it really does all fall on Shire, and things need to get figured out quickly, quickly. Let's move on to our interview with Carlos Medina. Uh, awesome interview. Bulldogs are out of the college football playoffs. Number one seed in the AP polls the entire year in college football, but one weekend, one loss against Alabama. They now find themselves at six outside looking in, I should say. We'll play FSU, of course, in the Orange Bowl, and we'll preview that. Talk about his thoughts, what it means for next year, and just overall kind of talk about the Orange Bowl and uh, the big matchup they have coming up against FSU. So without further ado, let's head to Atlanta and talk to Carlos. Okay, we now head to Atlanta and bring back on recurring guest Carlos Vendina from 106.3 Extra, Extra 106.3 The Fan, excuse me, and then 6, 8, or 106, 106.3 uh, FM and then 680 The Fan, uh, The Fan, excuse me, in Georgia. It's, it's uh, a mouthful, Jared. Car- Trust me. Like, yeah. it's, it's, it's a whole lot. Yeah. <laughs> um we had to get you back on again to talk uh last time we had you on i think it was about like maybe two months ago we talked about uh georgia sports in general atlanta sports in general uh more the pro focus didn't really touch on a whole lot of bulldogs at that time but of course rollings came out this sunday college football playoffs georgia outside looking in now after being the number one seed all year Crazy, crazy stuff. How to get your reactions from this. Get the fans' reactions, what everyone is saying in Atlanta, all the Bulldog fans that live out there. What is it like? I mean, out of all of the snubs, I mean, there were a lot of snubs this year. I mean, Oregon, I think, is better than Washington. FSU, we all know what people are clamoring about. But in your, you know, as trying to be as unbiased as possible, is this the biggest snub out of all the teams that are being left out of this playoffs? I, I think if we're being realistic, uh, I, obviously the Florida State fans are going to say what they're going to say, but because of their injuries and what they look like over the past couple of weeks, you would question whether or not they have a a functional college football playoff level offense. I think that's mm-hmm. completely legitimate. I think the the one thing that Georgia fans have been resolute in pointing out is that they had their chance on the field. They made mistakes. It didn't work out. Yet, for a team that outside of one week where Ohio State was number one, uh, when the playoff rankings were out, they were number one in the polls and they were number one in the playoff rankings to drop to sixth uh, was pretty surprising given the history of what's going on. But uh, again, you had your chance on the field. And after two national championships, it's not like you have a tremendous amount of Georgia fans uh, that are crying foul. It's more of you had your opportunity and it didn't work out. What was the biggest downfall, do you think, in the Alabama game? Uh, when they when they played this past weekend? Uh, a, a couple of different things. Uh, losing Amarius Mims uh, over at right tackle, who they had had a similar situation happen during the year, and they were able to get through it with the level of competition that they were playing. He had gone down with a high ankle sprain. They got by without him. He's, a, he's a definitely a top 15, top 20 type of talent uh, in the upcoming NFL draft. And so when he went down early in that game, there looked to be kind of a resolution of, all right, let's kind of, Let's kind of bring it in a little bit. Let's not expose the Georgia tackles, the young tackles, uh, to as much of the of the Alabama pass rush. And I, I think they went a little bit conservative. And so when you do have, a, you know, a fumble, obviously in in your red zone, uh, which ends up resulting in a field goal, and you miss a field goal uh, based off of you know basically backing up for three consecutive plays, that's the game. That's what it comes down to. Every time they've matched up with Alabama, it's come down to a handful of plays. And Georgia recently has made more of them. Alabama made them this time around. Yeah, it's just unfortunate. I mean, we talked, I mean, every single year, pretty much for the college football playoffs, they can't be perfect. P- teams that should be making it happy left out. But it, th- it does still seem interesting and confusing to me because I still would say Georgia probably is one of the top four teams in the country, despite losing to Alabama this past weekend. And, you know, I know it's not that easy. You have to, you know, reward, you know, wins on the field. Texas, obviously, uh, you know, did deserve it. And Alabama did beat Georgia, of course, and Washington going undefeated and then Michigan obviously being dominant as well. It's just, it, it does seem like this was the, you know, I know next year we are going to the 12 team playoff structure, but it it did seem like this year more than ever, uh, it would have been a great, great year to have it. Cause there's a, I mean, as we just kind of talked about, there's a lot of snubs this year. Well, if I want to be very petty about this and trust me, I'll Mm -hmm. put the, the petty on, I, I, I even wore the sweatshirt, yeah. the, the Georgia sweatshirt for today. You know, the wife is a Georgia grad. Uh, you can start off by saying, hold on, Texas lost to OU, and OU didn't sniff the playoffs. They were not that kind of a team over in the Big 12. Mm-hmm. You can talk about who's the only team in the top seven who had a home loss by double digits. 
that's Alabama. Okay. Like like we can go through this and start pointing out resumes and saying you lost a neutral site game by three points against Alabama. If you're going to make the argument that Alabama can be in, well, then I think you can make that argument that Georgia should be in based on resumes alone. It's just, just your loss. If you're, if we're Mm -hmm. comparing, you know, apples to apples, the Alabama loss in Tuscaloosa is significantly worse than a loss uh, for Georgia to Alabama on a neutral site. Yeah, I mean, I personally am I'm I'm very surprised that Texas ended up making it. Both teams, of course, with only one loss, and like you said, uh, Georgia's loss was much less uh, was w- less bad than, uh, for lack of better words, than uh, Texas's loss because, like you said, it was the neutral field and against an Alabama team that has been playing probably one of the best in all of the country over these past, you know three, four weeks that in the season. What do you think with the Orange Bowl coming up? I mean, it's kind of an interesting matchup, right? Because we know we just talked about Georgia at length. They have something to prove. Uh, Florida State also obviously has a lot to prove with, you know, them having a massive, massive snub. So I mean, what do you think about the Orange Bowl coming up? And do you think there's any possibility that uh, FSU might try to boycott the, the Orange Bowl? No, and, and here's the reason why. Uh, Four million reasons. Uh, when you are yeah. a playoff team, you get $6 million. When you're a New Year's Six team, you get $4 million. So the ACC is not turning away, nor is Florida State going to turn away a $4 million paycheck to go with the rest of the money that goes along with these things. When when Alabama mm-hmm. gets in and they're a playoff team and it's $6 million and Georgia's also a New Year's Six team, that's $10 million that's the, those, those are going to be in those coffers. So there's no chance of, of any of uh, uh, that kind of silliness. I will point out, Georgia opened as a 14-point favorite for this game. So if you want to tell mm-hmm. me that FSU deserves an opportunity – I'm going to just tell you that they probably would have been a 14, 15, 16 point dog to Michigan or to any of the rest of these teams. And so that's mm-hmm. that's part of the reason this this entire committee, their job is to make good television and it hasn't always worked out. But look what's going on. You're going to have Seattle with Washington. You're going to have the Midwest with Michigan. You're going to have the South with Alabama and you're going to have Texas with Texas. They finally have it to where they envisioned back in 2014. They have regional matchups that's going to keep the entirety of the country interested. And so to, to get it now, that's that's what they were looking to deliver, and that's what they delivered this time around. Yeah, I know um, we, we talked about it in the intro of this show, too. I, I think TCU has a bad taste in their mouth. Um, you know, when they lost to Georgia uh, in the national championship, they got blown away by Georgia. And I think they were afraid that they might see the same thing from FSU. So that might have been a lot of the reason why they, they, they kept, you know, Florida State out because they didn't want the same. <laughs> they didn't want a potential same matchup they had uh, against Georgia when they when they got blown away at, uh, blown blown away uh, by Georgia. Um, my question, I mean, they had so you mentioned it 2014, the playoffs were created, basically, and. My question for you is they had to have seen this coming. They had to have seen four teams essentially not being enough. Why do you think like they only made it four teams? I mean, I, I, for just the length of the playoffs, I mean, these are obviously young kids. They can't endure too much physical, uh, you know, they can't endure too much physical. So is, what do you think is the reason they only allowed four teams to begin with? Well, it was always going to be Bunny. And that's, that's what was going to drive all of this. I still remember when the playoffs came into into effect. I was uh, I was at SEC Media Days, and it was a huge deal. All right, first year of the playoffs, this is what's going to happen. Uh, and, and it was such a step forward from the old BCS system, where we would just have a computer ranking, and here are the top two teams, and now they're going to play. Uh, that was a step forward from what we had even before, where, you know, when we had, okay, here are all the bowl matchups where – Pac-10 champion is going to head over to the Rose Bowl and the Big Ten champion is going to go over to the Rose Bowl. And if one of them are competing for a national championship, well, they're not going to play any any other ranked team. They're going to play who they're going to play. So it, it's been this gradual move to increase where we're at. And at four, what's been very fortunate for this, this committee until this season is that it's always worked out. We've always had two teams that get in and we have to go search around for, okay, who's number three? Who's number four? And that's typically why we've only had, what, maybe two of these matchups, a Rose Bowl between Georgia and Oklahoma and then the Georgia-Ohio State game last year where they've been competitive. Most of the semifinal semifinal matchups are not. And so uh, this just happened to be the one weird year where you had this many Power 5 teams that had a legitimate argument to be in this this uh, this entire playoff. What do you think of the dynamic next year with uh, 12 teams instead of four teams? So would that benefit Georgia? Would that benefit FSU or some of these other programs that didn't get in 
to the college football playoffs. What do you think of that? First off, I think it sucks. Uh, the, the magic of college football is that when I'm sitting over next to my in-laws and uh, my brother-in-law is a Georgia Tech grad, my other brother-in-law is an Auburn grad, and again, my wife is a Georgia grad, it's hilarious in November when Auburn takes that second loss or the third and we go, well, your season's done. You know, in, in, enjoy going to Mobile. You know, that, that's, that's the joke. The problem now is that, yes, we are going to have an expanded playoff, and that's going to be great, and, and most of these teams can can pretty much write their name down. They're going to be in a top-12 playoff. But the first loss doesn't get you out of there. The second loss perhaps doesn't even get you out of there. In fact, you're going to have teams that are going to be 9-3 and three and saying, hey, we're going to the playoffs, and that takes away from the integrity of the regular season that we've grown up being used to. Yeah, no, so it sounds like you're one of those people that – or not, I mean, you, obviously you're not for it. You just said it, but it sounds like it's because of the wins and the losses might mean less uh, throughout the season then that, that you're kind of, you're kind of in that camp. I could have, I could have gotten away with six teams and the way I looked at it was the top two get a buy and then here are the other four they're going to play. But a, a lot of this just comes right down to this was an unfair system in regards that the group of five only got one chance at this with Cincinnati over this decade. And that was it. And so if you want to tell me about how you're not able to get access to potential playoff money, they had legislation and they had uh, basically cases going through court that were going to end with the monopoly of the Power Five going away. So that's why we expanded. That's the only reason we've expanded is so now we can say to Liberty or to Cincinnati or to Tulane, hey, you got a, you got a legitimate shot at this thing now. Yeah, no, and I, I think the... The I, I still think it would be tough with three losses. Um, it could definitely happen though, for sure, especially if it's a big enough of a name, you know, SEC school or Big Ten school. But as it stands right now, uh, if we, you know, if we did have a twelve-team playoff, Missouri would play Oregon, and then that winner would play Michigan. Liberty would play uh, Florida State actually, and then they would go on to play Alabama. Ole Miss against Georgia, that would play Texas. They would play Texas, winner of that game, and then Penn State, Ohio State, and of course that. Uh, that winner playing Washington. So, yeah, I, I, I've been hearing it both sides, Carlos. I've been hearing teams, uh, people people love it, uh, people, and then people don't like it because, again, it takes away the validity, you know, it takes away the validity of the losses and wins and how important they are. Do you think the bigger schools like yourself, someone that covers Georgia, probably are more against it, uh, the, the 12-team playoff uh, restructuring, just because you are usually one of the most dominant teams and it kind of uh, makes it a little bit unfair for the teams that can go, you know, 12-1 uh, and one or even 13-0, and 0, uh, you know, consistently year in and year out. Well, if you look at what Kirby Smart has done since he, you know, really, really when they arrived on the scene in 2017, you know, first year in 2016, got the system built. By 2017, they're in the playoffs. And since 2017, they always sit in the top six. You know, you've got one mm -hmm. year where they've been at it. Every single year, they're in the top six, if not in the playoffs. So I don't think you question whether or not you are going to be a playoff team. I, I think you start questioning things similar to what you just brought up. If you're playing Ole Miss, we well, just played Ole Miss a month ago. You know, we're, we're, we're starting to now have these, these situations where you'll play a team Two times, maybe three if something weird happens. And and now uh, it, it just starts to take away from some of the fun that is the playoff where you play teams you typically don't see. And when, when you have a matchup between Alabama and Michigan like you're going to get, Alabama's going to travel for that because that's the Rose Bowl. As many mm -hmm. things that Alabama fans have gotten to do over the, over the last 15 years, a Rose Bowl is not one of them. They're going to turn out for that. And so you get those opportunities when you have this sort of system. I, I just think that's part of what we're going to have to sacrifice. It'll, it'll be fun to have 12, but we are going to be sacrificing a portion of the regular season to get to that fun. Well, it's like you alluded to, too, and it's a good point. I mean, it's going to be a lot more predictable with a 12-team playoff. I mean, there's the top 10 are pretty much – you don't know exactly the order of the top 10, but the top 10 every single year mostly will be decided and will be pretty much known going into the season. It's going to be maybe those 11th and 12th seeds that might be a little bit more of a wild card, so to speak. But, yeah, it's a good point you made. It's going to be a lot more predictable. What do you – I mean, just what's your overall thoughts? I know you kind of already touched base on it a little bit, but, you know, the Rose Bowl, Sugar Bowl, what's your overall thoughts just on the matchups they have currently as they stand? Um, you know, do you think they're going to be pretty good matchups? And then particularly – the national championship, like what's your prediction on who, who ends up going on and maybe even winning the whole thing? Yeah. I love that. We don't have a mystery guest here. 
You know, that's what's happened in recent years where, you know, several years ago, it was a Washington team uh, that, that found their way over to Atlanta and they ran into the buzzsaw uh, that was Alabama. You had that a few years ago with Michigan State where they didn't even scratch against Alabama. It just it just wasn't going to work out. Obviously, you had TCU as the mystery guest last year, which good for you beating Michigan. Then it was 50 some points in the in the final against Georgia. These four. There's no mystery guest here. There's no, this team just got hot or they're an interesting story or they're a quarterback who, you know, put it together. Everybody's good. And so to watch, uh, like I said, I, I love looking at, at, at lines and what Vegas looks at at these games. You know, I think the over under is 64 and a half between Texas and Washington and a four and a half point <laughs> spread. That's going to be a fun game. Like that's going to be up and down the field. I'm not saying 2001 Holiday Bowl where that was Texas and, and Washington. It was 47-43. But I expect that there'll be a ton of points. And and the same thing goes, <coughs> excuse me, we're going to find out about J.J. McCarthy because for the past month, it's been pretty mediocre play for Michigan. Mm-hmm. And so show me what you're going to do against one of the better defenses, one of the bigger defenses uh, in the country. And and let's see if if that that terror that is Alabama, that when they get to this point in the year, they just know what to do. Let's see if they can get that done against Michigan. I think it's going to be fascinating. And, and to me, I wouldn't be surprised to see a, a, another matchup between uh, between Texas and, and Alabama in a, in a final. No, me neither. I I like I said, I don't think watch. I, I think Washington's very good. I don't think they're a two seed to be completely honest. So I can easily see Texas uh, beating Washington. And then, as much as you don't want to hear this, I could absolutely see Alabama beating Michigan because it probably will be the best defense uh, McCarthy and. Michigan Wolverines they saw all year so I think it they absolutely could have a potential to, well and, to and Jerry here's Michigan. the thing it, and this is the the what I we always point about at the SEC like I had a, a friend of mine who was at the Orange Bowl last time around when it was Georgia and Michigan and he was paying attention to a guy in front of him who was on his phone you know older gentleman had big text on it and he's telling his friend they just came out of the tunnel they're much bigger than we are like you just see the SEC size. It just it just mm-hmm. sticks out to you, you know, when you start kind of doing the measurables and going like, oh my God, look how big these guys are. If there's one team that can physically match up against Georgia, it's Alabama. And the one team that matches up physically with Alabama is Georgia. They are going to walk onto that field against Michigan and be bigger, faster, stronger. Now, is that going to mean a win? We'll see. But that's that's one of the things that when you talk about, hey, Michigan played Penn State, it's a really good defense. Hey, Ohio State's a really good defense. They're different here. Because they're just they're just different here in the SEC. Yeah, no, you hear it all the time. The joke, you know, the top four teams in the SEC, you know, Georgia consistently, you know, Georgia, Alabama, Ole Miss, LSU. Uh, it's basically the NFL seventh conference. What do you think about overall just the realignment next year about the conferences, not just the playoff structure, but just the realignment and the teams leaving, the teams that are leaving, and then the formation, Pac-12 going away, and uh, ACC might be on its way being dismantled too what are are your overall thoughts on you know us getting closer and closer to that two dominant uh conference play in college football i have long said this for the better part of a decade uh i've referred to it as super d1 i believe that we're going to be moving to a system where you're going to have whatever the remnants of the power five are going to move even out of the purview of the ncaa and do their own thing and and that's where Mm -hmm. i believe it's going and so realignment as much fun as it's going to be to have Texas and Oklahoma entering into the SEC, this is all going one direction in my mind of here's the Big Ten, how massive they're going to be in the SEC, and everybody else has to figure it out. And so when when you have, and I, I think we've seen this to a certain extent with, with Michigan, Michigan looked at this cheating scandal, and they looked at the NCAA and just said, what are y'all going to do about it? You're mm-hmm. going to do anything about it. You know, what do you got, bull ban us? Are you going to take us off TV? You know, go away, punks. And that's where it is. The NCAA is is now just that it's that it's that organization that gets to run a college basketball tournament and gets to tell smaller D1 programs what they can and can't do. But they have no way to police what's coming right now as far as these big conferences in college football. Well, money drives it. That's why they can't they can only do so much about it because money at the end of the day is going to. Um, drive everything and make all the decisions for the most part. It, it does suck though. Cause it, you mentioned a good point. You, know, you mentioned it, a point yourself too. It's uh, all these smaller schools are going to be pretty much screwed coming up here. The bigger schools will be fine. They're going to find their place in one of these two big conferences, but you know, five, six, seven years down the line, it's going to be these smaller schools going to have to really be scrapping uh, to stay alive. Well, th- they'll still be, they'll still be the typical, uh, hey, I went there, I played my four or five years, I got my education, I went to school for free. That's that's where you're going to do that. You will be basically playing semi-pro football 
when you join these other big conferences where NIL is going to be where it's going to be. And, and that's how guys are going to get yep. compensated. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be, yeah, the, the two main ones. And then, Everyone else pretty much for the most part. Well, Carlos, this has been awesome. I do want to get your final thoughts. So I know you mentioned you think Texas and Alabama then might be the national uh, might be the national championship. Then who do you think uh, might come out of that victory, uh, the rematch between the Alabama and Texas? If they can keep him upright, uh, I think Texas is looking at their revenge from from back yeah. in 2000, uh, 2009, where, you know, they, they end up losing your quarterback. You know, you, you, he goes down and suddenly it's all right. What, what kind of a game we're going to have? If Quinn Ewers stays upright the way they're playing offense, and Oklahoma State was, like I said, it, it was it was fun to watch. You're going to go up and down the field on them. But if they're performing at that level, and remember the championship game is in Houston, so you're going to have an extremely strong Texas crowd there. Uh, I think it's going to be fascinating to watch to see if they can get it done. And, and again, I don't know if there's right now a better play caller in all of football than Steve Sarkeesian in, in college football. Well, Carlos, this has been awesome. Can't thank you enough for coming on, giving us your uh, expertise on Georgia. Uh, you know, we'll you know we'll see how they come back next year. But overall, regardless, still really excited to see the last year of the four team college football playoffs. And you know, we'll have to be in touch and have you on again sometime soon. Okay. Yep. Just let me know, guys. All right, Carlos. You take care, man. We'll be, we'll talk to you soon. Okay. All right, Justin. Let's finish up with our intakes and outtakes of the week. We'll start with you. What is your intake of the week? My intake of the week is Stephen A. Smith saying that uh, TCU was the big reason that FSU did not make it to the college football playoffs. The committee didn't get embarrassed, didn't want to get embarrassed by FSU being in there without the quarterback, uh, without Jordan Travis going down for the season with the injury. And for TCU, he said they didn't want TCU in or they didn't want FSU in because of TCU because TCU got blown out by Georgian last year's national championship game. Yeah. No, it's true though. I didn't, I didn't even think about it until he said it, but no, it's, it's true. Uh, the committee might've learned some lessons from last year. And, and unfortunately for FS, FSU, they were on the wrong side of that lesson. And unfortunately are not at the fifth seed outside looking in, just talk with Carlos, of course, playing Georgia in the Orange Bowl coming up in about two weeks. My take of the week, Yahoo Sports NBA Rookie Rankings has Chet Holmgren taking over Wemby for Rookie of the Year top spot. Uh, not a knock on Wemby, but Chet has been playing better. Uh, Chet, 17.6 points per game, 8 rebounds a game, 10.5 assists per game, and over 2 blocks a game too, and averaging 30 minutes as well. Both rookies are putting up incredible numbers, but Holmgren has shot the ball more consistently, uh, 40% from the three-point range and 53% from the field. Uh, for added context too, Wembenyama is just shooting 27% from the from three and 43.7% from the field. Holmgren is second in three-point fields field goals made for the rookie class and leads all rookies with average minutes played as well. Um, he's an obvious key part to uh, the Thunder's rebuild. As much as Rembiama might be changing the game for players over seven feet tall, Holmgren is also carving his own path and making a name for himself. He became the first rookie in Thunder history to record a multiple 30-point games in the first month of his career. Uh, of course, Holmgren, as we all know, did miss all of last year with that bad foot injury he suffered uh, before the season even started. But so happy to see him back, and he's killing it for the Thunder. I agree. He has a very, very good chance of winning, winning the award and uh, being the best rookie uh, of this season. Justin, what is your outtake of the week? My outtake of the week is in the Eagles and the 49ers game. I thought that the rain would play a factor. It did not. And another thing, Brock Purdy is not a not just a game manager. He is a great he is he could be a top ten quarterback in this league with the Niners and the roster that they had. He had three hundred and eighteen yards and four passing touchdowns yesterday in the game. So Brock Purdy is more than just a game manager. My outtake is that Brock Purdy is a game manager. He is not a game manager for the 49ers. And another thing, big Dom. Shout out to him getting ejected from the game. The security guard there getting in a fight with Dre Greenlaw, who was also ejected from the game. We didn't touch on that, but a lot of a lot of stuff going on there. He's a star now. Yeah, well, a lot of he was pretty popular in Philly, but now he's you know now everybody knows who he is. Outside really? Of Did you know who too. he was? Um, Did you know who I he mean, was? I mean, 
I knew who he was as the security guard. I mean, he, a lot of people talked about him, and he, he uh, they put shirts, uh, big Dom shirts, out for the Eagles Autism Foundation. But now they're now he's famous. <laughs> I think I have seen him on the sidelines before, but I never really made like you know his his face looked familiar, but I of course never really knew who he was out of all the hundreds of people that are on that sideline, all the staff that's on that sideline. My outtake finishing us off. Feinbaum said that he liked Caleb Williams sitting out in the bowl game against Louisville coming up in like two weeks here. Uh, I don't like it. I mean, no one likes it. No one ever likes when the stars sit out. Caleb Williams making over a million dollars in NIL money this year. Uh, Bowl games are much better when the stars play and slight chance he would even get injured in the game. I think they should be lauded for sitting out, not applauded for, uh, for missing. And yeah, Caleb Williams, I definitely think he should play. Um, not that it would really matter for USC because I think Louisville will end up beating USC, especially with how bad their defense is. But yeah, just I just think he's he's a millionaire with his NIL money. Better when stars play, better product when stars play. I I don't think Feinbaum should be applauding uh, Caleb Williams for sitting out. Good show, Justin. We'll be back on Thursday. Break down all the other college football games that happened, all the other championship games that happened this past weekend. Obviously, touch base on the playoff rankings uh, that came out, but we'll actually get into the games a little bit. Talk a lot more about the actual bowl games coming up too. It's just our reactions to, you know, the the matchups that we have coming up, the dates that they are, and just overall a lot of a lot of college football talk and maybe whatever else happens in the meantime as well. But until then, keep on traveling, and we'll see you all on Thursday.